Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, so let's bow our hearts again before the Lord and get our hearts in tune to the Holy Spirit. So we'll hear what he wants to say to us through his word. Father, we thank you once again for the saints. Thank you for all that you allow us to do for you. Thank thank you for receiving us in the body of Christ, for allowing us to be a part of your family. Lord, we praise you. We, We pray for everybody who's serving, that you'll empower your servant by your spirit, that they'll serve in your joy and in love and in peace. We pray for safety on the grounds for all. Lord, we pray for anybody who have not yet made the decision, the commitment to Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would draw them to yourself tonight. We pray for the saints who are here and they have questions or maybe they're hurting or whatever the case may be with any issues, Lord. We pray that you would meet their need tonight. We pray for a timely word. I pray for the gift of teaching and the fresh filling of your spirit. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we give you praise. Amen. We are in Romans chapter 15. Lord willing, we'll cover the remainder of the chapter, verses 7 through 33. I'm going to open up there. Now, in the previous verses that lead up to tonight's study, the Holy Spirit through Paul had commanded the stronger or more knowledgeable believers to be considerate of the sensitivities of the weaker Christians, of those who are weak in the faith. And those who are weak in the faith are those who have certain hang-ups. They have a sensitive conscience about certain things in the Bible that the Bible doesn't call good or bad. They're, they're things that are morally indifferent. I like to call those the gray areas because they're not in black and white in the scriptures, but that the Christian that is weak in the faith is considered the weaker Christian in the scriptures. Weak in the faith, sensitive conscience, but those who are stronger, who do not have a sensitive conscience in those things that are morally indifferent, we see that they're to receive the weaker Christians, to be considerate of them in their sensitivities. And instead, they were to also focus on edifying or building up their brother as opposed to causing them to stumble or to fall, to violate their conscience, for example. And in chapter 14, there was a word as well for the Christian who had those sensitivities, that weak conscience or that hang-up about that gray area. And for them... They were not to judge the ones who participated in something that they felt was wrong. You know, there's some Christians who have a weak conscience just about going to the movies in general. Then there's some, according to the scriptures here, who felt they could eat all things, meat. And there were some with the weaker conscience who said, no, only vegetables, but they were not to judge those who ate meat and say, you are not as spiritual as you let on. You're not really a Christian because 
you eat that meat or because you, you worship and you gather with the saints on Sunday. So you're not really a true Christian. You have to only worship on Saturday. That's the saint with the weaker conscience. They have that hang up about that. We talked about all of that a couple of weeks ago. And so they're not to judge. And the one who's more knowledgeable, the stronger one, is not to look down on the one with the weaker conscience. So both sides, as we find out in Romans 15, 5, they were to be like-minded toward each other. Not, of course, to be selfish or the stronger Christian to just use their liberties in spite of how the weaker Christian feels. But to be like-minded, to be considerate, to be selfless instead of selfish. And so now we pick up at verse 7. In verse 7, now it makes sense where you see the word therefore. It says, therefore, received or accept one another. Just as Christ also received or accepted us to the glory of God. So receiving one another despite our differences, especially in those doubtful matters, these debatable issues, these gray area issues, receiving one another despite those differences is Christ-like. And why is it Christ-like? It's Christ-like because he received us. Although we're not perfect and although we've sinned, although everything doesn't quite line up in our lives with the word of God. He came to die for imperfect people, for sinful people, which of course demonstrates his love and he received us. And so receiving one another is Christ-like. It's mimicking what he did. And so the question is, who are we to not receive who Jesus received? Oh, Jesus, that that believer, weak, conscious, or maybe the stronger believer, you, you received him or her, but that's good for you, Jesus, but not for me. Who are we to behave or to think in that manner? And when we receive one another, as we see at the end of verse 7 in Romans 15, this gives glory to God. It honors God. In verse 8, it says, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that is the Jews, for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, made to the Jewish ancestors, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Jesus became the servant to them for the truth of God. So he came as a fulfillment as the promises that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the patriarchs. And in doing that, Jesus showed that God the Father can be trusted. Whereas the scripture says, for the truth of God in verse 8. But not only did Jesus, by coming to fulfill the promises made to the Jews, not only did he show that the Father could be trusted, but the scriptures themselves, Jesus himself actually says that he is the truth. He is the truth. And even to look at him as we read the scriptures and we look at his life, we read what he taught. What we're looking at is the truth. And the sad thing about it was Pontius Pilate had the truth standing in front of him. 
And he had the nerve to ask Jesus what is truth. And instead of waiting for the answer or continuing to look at Jesus, the truth in his face, then Pontius Pilate walked out. And so we are looking at the truth. Not only is he the truth, we're looking at the truth when we read the word of God, but he also, of course, spoke the truth. He can't do anything else because he's God. The eternal God, fully God, fully man. So he taught the truth, lived the truth. And Jesus is true in every way. So if anybody comes and they share something that's different from the life of Jesus, from what Jesus taught, then it's a lie flat out because Jesus is the highest standard by which we can compare any doctrine by, any teaching, any so-called holy book. Does it match up with what the word of God says? Does it match up with what Jesus said, with the lifestyle of Jesus? And if not, toss it, disregard it. In verses 9 through 12, it says, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this reason, I will confess to you or praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And so we see here in verse 9, another reason for the ministry of Jesus. It was not only to become a servant to the Jews, the circumcision, in other words, for the truth of God or or fulfill the promises made to the forefathers, but also so that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, people like me, not a Jew, might glorify God for his mercy. And God's mercy is what uh, is not, us not getting what we deserve. That's his mercy and his grace is us being blessed with what we don't deserve and what we can't earn. And so he also came that we might glorify him for his mercy, for not getting that punishment that we so much deserve. And then he shares a scripture with us here. And, and this scripture is a quote from 2 Samuel uh, verses 20, I mean, chapter 22, verse 50, and Psalm chapter 18, verse 49. And so in context uh, of this scripture here that is shared in verse 9, David is speaking, but prophetically is being applied to Jesus here in verse 9 of Romans chapter 15. For this reason, I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing to your name, sing to the Father's name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That is with the Jews, the circumcision. And again, in verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud or praise him, all you peoples. That's a quote from Psalm 117, verse 1. And again, Verse 12, Isaiah says, there shall be a root. There should be an offspring. Not only is Jesus the offspring, but he is the creator of Jesse. And Jesse, of course, is the father of King David. And he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Looking forward to the thousand year or millennial kingdom of Christ when he literally reigns on this earth with the saints, with all of us, as we reign with him in our glorified bodies. And that quote in verse 12 is is from Isaiah 11, verse 10. So what you see here in all of these quotes 
about the Gentiles and God's plan for the Gentiles. And all of those quotes, what you see there is every part of the Jewish Bible, every part of the Old Testament is touched on. So you can look at the the law part of the Jewish Bible, which would be our Old Testament, the law part. There's a quote in there from Deuteronomy. So that part testifies to the fact that God meant to reach the Gentiles. So that will be the law part of the Jewish Bible. And then there's a part of the Bible called the Psalms, the poetic books. And so that's the part of the Jewish Bible or our Old Testament that's also quoted as we see the quote from Psalm 117.1 in verse 11. So the law, the Psalm part of the Jewish Bible talks about God's plan for the Gentiles. And now in verse 12, as there's a quote from Isaiah 11.10, now throughout the entire Jewish Bible now, now it's complete. The prophetic part of the Jewish Bible talks about God's plan for the Gentiles. So you have it all covered in the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. It's all covered. God had a plan all along for the Gentiles. And he wanted the Jewish people to reach the Gentiles. But all of them didn't set the example that God wanted them to set. But he always had a plan to reach other peoples, other non-Jews. And so Jesus came for everybody, for all sinners. And as we read in Romans chapter 3, that all have sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God, Jews and Gentiles. We all fall short, in other words, of his standard. And God's standard is perfection. So if a person wants to get into the kingdom of God apart from Jesus, then they are going to have to perfectly keep God's law, keep God's standard, which means not one evil thought ever from childhood on to the time that person dies. It is not possible. But Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus came to take the punishment that we deserve because the wages of sin for breaking just one law, the wages of sin, the scriptures tell us is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I'd rather receive the gift. Not only did he offer that gift to the Jews, but once again to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So as it says in verse 9, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Encouragement tonight or the exhortation for tonight is that we would all give God glory for his mercy. That all of us. It's not just for the people who lived at the time of this writing. It's not just for the people who lived during the time of the Old Testament. Not just for people 10 years ago. But all of us that need that mercy from God. And it's available to all, us not getting what we really deserve, being forgiven of our sins. And what a blessing it is. It's something so simple. We hear that word mercy. We hear that word forgiveness so many times. And forgiveness, by the way, is an extension of his mercy. So whenever you forgive somebody, that's an example of you showing mercy. So, yes, maybe that person needed to be punished or treated poorly, or slapped across the face like they did you. Maybe that's what they deserve. But no, because you are merciful, because you're not going to give them what they deserve, you forgive them. And so that forgiveness from God, it's available for all of us. And, And we've been forgiven of so much. 
if we really think about it. Been forgiven of so much. And, it, and it's sad how other people's sin looks nastier than our sin to us. It's easier for us to point out faults in other people's lives instead of looking at the faults in our own lives. But if we truly recognize how ugly sin is, not only in other people, but for us and the fact that God had mercy upon us, in other words, he forgave us, then that, of course, would be a cause for us to give glory to God for his mercy. In verse 13, it says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing or as you believe so that you may abound in hope by what? By the power of the Holy Spirit and joy and peace. Just to touch on those. These, of course, are characteristics of people who are a part of the kingdom of God. If you remember in the previous chapter, previous lesson, Romans 14, 17, it says, for the kingdom of God, it's not about eating, it's not about drinking, but it's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. So it's not about us. Oh, well, I don't care about them. I know they have a hang up about what I'm about to partake in, but I'm going to use my Christian freedom anyway. So life is not about using our Christian freedom in spite of how another brother or sister in Christ feels about it, even though it may stumble them. It's not, that's not what the Christian walk is about. But as people of the kingdom, we have to ask ourselves, uh, is, is joy and peace, are those characteristics of our lives? Because it's characteristic of people who are kingdom people, who are kingdom children, and that joy and peace, by the way, just as it says that God is the God of hope, that just like how that hope comes from God, that joy and that peace comes from God as well. Because if you remember the fruit of the spirit, the, the first thing that's listed is the core of the fruit of the spirit, which is love. And then what is the, what is the next two say? In joy and peace. Galatians 5.22. And so these are our characteristics of kingdom people. And so may the God of hope fill us in verse 13 with all joy and peace as we believe because we want to abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit as does not come from the world. Source of these things from the Spirit of God. Verses 14 through 16. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge. You're able also to admonish, that is to caution or reprove gently. Or to keep it simple, you're, you're able to instruct or warn one another because you're so knowledgeable and I'm confident of, in your ability to do so. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister, a servant of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified or set apart by the Holy Spirit. And so the application for us from these verses is that we may be filled with all knowledge on many different things, on many different topics and doctrines from the Bible. But sometimes we'll lose sight of some things because we'll, we'll be so focused in, on gaining a bunch of knowledge. But there are some things, some simple things, the main things, again, that we'll lose sight of. And so the Apostle Paul felt the need here to remind them. 
And reminders, by the way, are not designed to insult a person. They're not designed for that, but they're designed to bring something back to our attention. So yes, you're knowledgeable. Yes, we may be knowledgeable, but there are some things we need to be reminded of. And we need to receive that when that reminder, whatever it may be, is brought to us. Now, I like the part, and it's very interesting, in verses 15 and 16. And I say it's interesting because the apostle Paul is speaking of himself as if he were a priest. And what is he offering up? He is offering up the Gentiles. And when you look at the Greek word behind the word minister in verse 16, it is, it is alluding to that, that, that priestly um, ministry of offering up things, of serving in the temple. And so if the apostle Paul is effective in ministering the gospel of God to the Gentiles, to these non-Jews, and if they receive the message by faith and walk out their faith being faithful, then what they'll be is an acceptable offering to God from Paul the priest, an acceptable offering to God, sanctified, again, set apart by the Holy Spirit. But guess what? The scriptures teach us that we too, as believers, are considered to be a holy and a royal priesthood. And we offer up not physical sacrifices. We don't offer up animals, but we offer up spiritual sacrifices. We offer up praise. We offer up thanksgiving. We offer up doing good, sharing. The scriptures tell us in Romans 12, 1, that we even present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Here is my body that you created, God. Here is my body that you pay for when you send Jesus to die for me on the cross. And I present this body to you as a part of the holy priesthood for your use, for you to be glorified in and through my body. Not for me, God, to, to live according to my own standards, but for me to live, God, according to your standards and to be used by you to minister to whomever you want me to minister to. And so those are an examples of us in our priesthood, of our, of our duties, a holy, a royal priesthood. But of course, we do not take the place of Jesus, who is the priest with a capital P. So no, we're not technically priests. We don't have priests in the biblical church. This is talking about in a spiritual way. And so we don't want to have a hang up about that. So I just needed to clarify that. But even as us, even as those of us in here who have certain ministries, like the Apostle Paul, when there's somebody that we lead to Christ or minister to, and now, you know, they, they, they receive Christ, they, they begin to walk according to the word of God. What they become to us is our offering that we offer up to God. That is us operating in that royal and that holy priesthood that the apostle Paul is alluding to here in those verses. In verses 17 through 19, it says, therefore, I have reason to glory. I have reason to boast, the apostle Paul says, in Christ Jesus. Notice, in Christ Jesus. In what? In the things which pertain to God. In my work for God is what he's saying. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. 
So the apostle Paul is saying that he has a reason to boast about what? Not about what he has accomplished, but about what Christ has accomplished through him. That is in his ministry to the Gentiles. And if Christ did not do the work in him and through him, then he says that he didn't even want to bring it up. I dare not to speak about those things that Christ has not worked in me, that Christ has not worked through my life because in and of myself, my own righteousness is filthy as as filthy rags. All of my works apart from being in Christ, they mean nothing. But all the work that Christ is working through me, that's what I'm going to boast about. Because if he's working through me, then that means it's not me. That means I'm just a vessel. That means I just presented my body as a living sacrifice and that he saw me fit and by his grace doing the work through me. And so that's what I'm a boast about. I'm a boast in my savior. So he wouldn't want to bring it up if Jesus didn't do it. And he said that his work in the ministry and in word and what he said and in the works that he did to make the Gentiles obedient. They were evidence in his mighty signs and wonders. And so God used those signs and wonders that he worked through Paul's life and even the other apostles. He used them to to validate, to show proof of the truthfulness of the message that is the gospel message and and the, and the, the proof of their ministry as well. That, yes, this person has a valid message from me, God is saying, and also he is somebody that I have chosen. And that's what those signs and wonders prove. And so for us, for us who who believe that we have certain gift or gifts in certain areas or supposed to be doing a certain ministry or, or outreach, the question that I have for all of us that we really have to consider is, are there signs that we're doing what God wants us to do? And it may not show up right away. And so I'm not going to tell you to quit after the first time. You feel that the Lord told you to be an evangelist and and you go out street witnessing on the corner and nobody comes to Christ the first time. That doesn't mean you quit because nobody came to Christ the first time. It could be the second or third time you go out there. Maybe you start seeing fruit. But that's the question for us. That's one way. And this is just one criterion. Okay, this is not, you know, based the whole thing off of this when it comes to whether or not you're truly gifted in a certain area or supposed to be ministering in a certain area. But that's one thing we can ask ourselves. What what does the fruit look like? Is is there evidence that I'm supposed to be here? And sometimes people that you're ministering to will let you know. Sometimes you just be reading the word of God and God will speak to it through his word and he'll and he'll let you know. And so, again, if you don't know what your gift is or gifts, and I say gifts because some of us have more than one. But if you don't know that, pray about it. That's not something God is trying to hide from you. If you haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you can pray for that. Elders can lay hands on you and pray for that. But just to go back to that success in ministry, it's not, not, again, based on us, but it's based on Christ, how Christ is working through us, through the Holy Spirit. And of course, that will be the only reason for us to boast. What has God done in me? What has God done through me? Now, this place he, 
he preached about, he said he, he preached the gospel from Jerusalem to roundabout Illyricum that, that talks about the scope of his ministry. And Illyricum was a Roman province and it was located northwest of this place or this region called Macedonia. And that's the northern region of, or that's the region northern, uh, in northern Greece. And then Achaia, and because we'll talk about Achaia later, as you'll see, that's the southern region of Greece. But Illyricum was that Roman province located northwest of Macedonia, region of northern Greece. And it was 1,400 miles from Jerusalem. So that was the scope of the Apostle Paul's ministry. In verses 20 through 21, it says, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced or told about him, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. So the apostle Paul used the scriptures from the Old Testament to help guide his ministry as far as where to preach. He didn't want to step on anybody's toes. If somebody has already received the gospel message, he didn't want to do extra work there. He wanted to move on to a place where there were people who never heard the gospel. And by the way, it's not always wrong to, to, to work in a place where the gospel was shared already, especially in cases where the people or that person have not received Jesus yet. Because it could be that the first person was the sower. It could be that the first person planted the word of God. And maybe you, like Apollos, as you see in the scriptures in, in 1 Corinthians 3, maybe you are the one who's going to water it. And so it's not always wrong, especially, again, in cases where that person has not received Christ. You may be the one blessed enough to pray with that person to receive Christ, but maybe there were 10 other people who sowed, sown the word and then fertilized it, watered it, fertilized, whatever the case was. And then you come there and all you have to say is Jesus loves you. And they're breaking down, crying, ready to pray. And so it's not always wrong to go into someone else's labor, namely in cases where the person hasn't received Christ yet. And I like what it says in John 4:38, just to back up what I'm saying, because Jesus is telling this to his disciples. He says, I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored. Others have spread the word of God. Have, have put it out there about me, about Jesus, the Messiah, and you have entered into their labors. But now in, in cases where people are already saved, verse 20 is a good guideline to follow. Because there's many people today, many, many churches, they're spending time trying to steal church members. Like, why are you wasting time on that? There's people who need to be saved. They, they, they don't even have Jesus Christ as their savior yet. Now, if the Lord leads that, that person to, to go to another church, that's, that's different. And speaking of the local church, because they're already a part of the big church, the big C. But they're spending more time trying to steal church members instead of sharing the word of God with people who have not been reached yet for Christ. So that's where verse 20 in Romans 15 will be a, an awesome guideline. But then I want to throw this out to you. If you are on the receiving end of somebody from blank church, 
and they're trying to so-called convert you. Beware of them. Beware of those who claim to be Christian and you let them know clearly, I am a Bible-believing Christian. And even after you tell them that, they still try to convert you. Beware. That's the sign of a cult. Yeah, there was a, a, a few years ago, there was this Mormon who came to the door. Actually, it was a, maybe two or three of them. They came talking to me and, our, and already didn't, didn't share it with them. Like, no, I'm Christian, blah, blah, blah. And they just kept going. Well, we're Christian too. I said, well, if you're Christian, then why are you still standing there trying to convert me? Doesn't make any sense. So beware of those. And, and you can fill in the blank. If they're still trying to convert you and you tell them you are a Bible-believing Christian, beware. Just wanted to share that with you. In, in verse 22, it says, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. I've been prevented. I've been delayed from coming to you. And why is that? Because remember in verse 20, he says he made it his aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. He was, he was busy going around to those places where there were people who have not heard about Jesus. And so he was much hindered in coming to the Roman believers. So he was hindered. And that makes us think or should make us think, could it be? Could it be that we have not been moved on to that next step? Maybe we know that God called us to something, but could it be that we're still stuck on that same job, still stuck in that same neighborhood? Because maybe it is that, that God has a work for us to finish first. Maybe we are hindered because God wants us to finish where we are first before he releases us or sends us off on our way to that other job, to that other neighborhood, to that other city or state, or maybe to that next position or even responsibility within the church. But now in verse 23, no longer having a place in these parts. In other words, I, have, I don't have any more work to do in these regions and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey. I hope to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. In verse 25, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. That's the Jewish believers. For it pleased those from Macedonia, those in the region of northern Greece, and Achaia, those in the region of southern Greece, it pleased them to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. And it pleased them indeed. And they are their debtors. They owe the Jewish believers. For if the Gentiles had been partakers or sharers of their spiritual things, their duty or their obligation is also to minister to them in material things. Because remember, the, the Old Testament, those, those prophecies, the, the law, the things like that, they came to the Jews first, and we get to enjoy them. Those blessings of Abraham and so forth, we get to enjoy those blessings. And so we are grateful for the, for the Jews and, and how God used them to preserve the scriptures. Now, there's many Jews, of course, who don't believe, and we would love to reach them for Christ so that they will become what we call a completed Jew, receiving Jesus as the Messiah, and so even though the nation as a whole haven't received Jesus as their Messiah yet, 
God is still working among some of them individually. But right now, again, we call this the church age. And it's made up of individual Jewish believers and Gentile believers. But we're in the church age right now. And of course, the rapture will bring an end to the church age. When that last believer that makes up the bride of Christ receives the Lord, when they come to the Lord, I believe we're out of here. In verse 28, therefore, when I have performed this, when I have taken their gifts from Macedonia, from the churches in Macedonia and and from the saints in Achaia, and when I seal to them, the Jewish believers, this fruit, these resources, these funds, I shall go by way of you to Spain. That was his plan to go to Spain and to go through Rome first. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. In verse 30, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea, southern Israel, who do not believe. And of course, Jerusalem is in Judea, that southern part of Israel. And that my service for Jerusalem might be acceptable to the saints. Pray that the Jewish believers will accept the gift from the Gentiles, from the Gentile believers. That I may come to you with joy, in verse 32, by the will of God, and may be refreshed together with you. And so Apostle Paul planned to visit the believers in Rome, whom he had never visited. He planned to visit them whenever he journeyed to Spain. And he expected to be helped on his way by them, on his way to Spain. And no one can, no Bible teacher can really agree on whether or not he actually made it to Spain. Some teach that church tradition teaches it, but we don't see it in the scriptures. So we kind of leave that open. Hopefully we'll find out one day in heaven we can ask the Lord if he ever made it. But we don't know for sure. And so what the scriptures are silent on, we want to be silent on. So nobody really knows if he made it to Spain. But Paul, however, would get to Rome, but not as he thought. He would make it to Rome as a prisoner. And so we see his plans here. And it reminds us that there's nothing wrong with planning, but are we leaving room open for the will of God? Are we leaving room open for his will? As Proverbs 19, 21 teaches us that there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, it's the Lord's counsel. It's the Lord's purpose that will stand. Now, as we consider everything so far that we've read and and heard, especially from these past two messages and, and Romans 14 and tonight, the remainder of Romans 15, as we really take that in, there is no doubt that saints, the believers, are connected. Jews and Gentile slaves are free, male or female believers. We're, we're connected. There's no doubt about that. But not only are we connected, we, we, we should also do things that strengthen our connection to one another. And first of all, we want to address how we are connected. And I think we can find that answer in verse 7. In verse 7, we're connected because we're received by the same God. Because it tells us that Jesus received us. And so we're connected in that way. We receive 
by the same Lord, by the same Savior, by the same God. So just to establish that, that's off the table. We are connected. But then by experience, and some pastor would say experientially, that's now by experience, we could also strengthen the connection that we already have with other believers in the body of Christ. And we can take the ways we can be connected or or strengthen that connection from the scriptures we read, Romans 15, verses 7 through 33. And so the, the first way that we can strengthen the connection that we already have with other believers is to, number one, receive one another. And that's also found in verse 7. Receive one another. Accept one another. We may be at different levels, but if they're true believers, receive, accept one another. For Jesus received them. Jesus received all of us. So that's one practical way, one way by experience we can strengthen our connection with other believers. And the second way is to worship corporately, worship corporately like we're doing now, like like we did this past Sunday. And I take that point from verses 10 and 11, where it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Praise the Lord in verse 11, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples, praise him, All of you. And so we can strengthen that connection through corporate worship. The scriptures tell us in Hebrews 10 to forsake not. Don't stop assembling together. It's what it tells us. And it's beautiful when we can come together as a church and and we can offer up that sacrifice of praise together to a common Lord, to a common Savior, to a common God, a common Heavenly Father. Like what it says in speaking of praise in in Psalm 145, 3, it says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. It cannot be measured. And so when we come together and when we worship and we praise God together corporately, that's a powerful thing. A third thing we can do to strengthen our connection is to allow ourselves to be instructed or warned Or remember, we talked about being reminded by other believers. Allow ourselves to be reminded, to be warned by other believers. Sometimes we need to be warned. I wouldn't participate in that, brother or sister, if I were you, because this is what the word of God says. So I would be careful. We should be open to receiving that if it's based on the word of God. We should be open to being reminded Because sometimes we need to be reminded, especially in our times of trouble, sometimes we need to be reminded of the fact that, hey, you're worrying, but God is in control. What a welcome reminder that is. And so that's point number three. Allow ourselves to be instructed or warned or reminded by other believers. The third way, of course, that we can strengthen that connection between us. A fourth thing that I take from the scriptures based on verse 24 of our lesson, is to be open to help from the saints. Be open to help from the saints. You see, the apostle Paul wasn't trying to do it alone. In fact, he let the believers in Rome know that he was expecting their help. Hey, I plan to go to Spain after I'm done delivering this gift from the Gentile believers to the saints in Jerusalem. I want to go to Spain and I'm going to need you to help me. So he, he was open to the help from the saints. 
And that help could be in the form of prayers because we see in this lesson where he solicited their prayers. In verse 30, he says, strive together with me in prayers to God for me. So maybe you can't be physically on the battlefield with me, but in your prayers, you can be in this struggle. In prayers, you can be in this work or participate in this work with me. And of course, another way we can help or, or just to be open from help from the saints is through the sharing of resources, like what the saints of northern Greece did and southern Greece, saints in Corinth and so forth, what they did. So help in prayers, help in sharing of resources. And the fifth point I want to take from tonight's lesson of how we can strengthen our connection as the worship team comes forward is that we need to have a mindset of being a giver, not just a receiver. Another way we can strengthen the connection we already have. Have the mindset of being a giver, not just a receiver. A giver, not just a taker. In fact, giving is actually an expression of love. For God so loved the world that he, what, gave. And so be open to to, to sharing, not just take, take, take. Oh, I just need your prayers, but I'm not praying for you. No, we, we don't want to do that. And, and the apostle Paul showed that he had the attitude of wanting to be a blessing to them as well. Not only did he solicit their help, solicit their prayers to be helped on his way to Spain by the believers in Rome. But notice that he says something else. I believe it's in verse 29. He says, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. I'm not coming just to be blessed by you. I'm coming to be a blessing to you. And so we should have that mindset. In our final verse tonight, just to close out the lesson is now the God of peace. And I think this is an awesome way to end the message. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He left it off with pronouncing a blessing upon the saints. And so I want to just by extension pronounce that blessing upon you. Now may the God of peace, Calvary Chapel, Queen Creek and, Vi- Queen Creek and visitors, still a part of the church. May the God of peace be with you all. But Darrell, I thought you said that God is everywhere. He is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So what it's saying is that may you sense the God of peace with you. Because it's one thing to know that he is in the room. It is one thing to know that he's in the lobby, that he's on the campus, that he's everywhere in the United States, everywhere in the world. It's one thing to know that, but it's another thing to sense it. It's another thing to experience his presence. And so in pronouncing that blessing, that the God of peace be with you all. So not only will we sense and experience his presence, but also since he's the God of peace, if we sense him, 
then guess what we'll experience? His peace. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that just as we have peace with you through justification, because of our faith in Christ, because of your grace, help us to, by experience, Extend that peace with other believers. But I pray for people tonight who mind are it's just a little bit of everywhere, Lord, and we've all experienced those spiritual attacks from the enemy. wants to suggest things to us, wants to attack us with our past. But Lord, I thank you for the scriptures that say that you have received us. Lord, we thank you for whatever timely word that has gone forth tonight. Lord, if anything was clear, if anything was a blessing to anyone tonight, we want to make it, make it clear to every person in this room that our boast is in you. Because that timely word, if it was timely for someone, that came from you. That peace that somebody feels tonight, that came from you. That question that was answered tonight, God, that that came from you. And so we give you the glory and pray that you would protect and bless my brothers and sisters on their way back home tonight. And Father, as we leave this place, Help us to be aware of the fact that we never leave your presence. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, thank you for coming out tonight. We have one more lesson in Romans, Romans 16. And if you weren't here for the afterglow service um, last week, um, I mentioned that um, the next study is going to be in the Gospel of Mark. A gospel account. So the Lord put that on my heart, I believe, to teach from there. And you can be in prayer about that. That would be awesome. So like the Apostle Paul, I solicit your prayers. And on behalf of Pastor Jim and Pastor Al and all of the ministry leaders, I solicit your prayers on their behalf as well. And we'll keep you in prayer. God bless you. Thanks for coming out. We love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.